Hey everyone, welcome back to the Wicked Ones podcast. This is Tara. And this is Chen. What's up today? Not a whole lot. It looks a little bit nicer outside, so I'm kind of sad we're stuck inside recording, but kind of not. I know. 71 seems like vacation mode, you know? That's it's been so summer. cold. <laughs> I know. We all have our bathing suits going in sprinklers and when it's 71. I know. The kids probably will ask, can we do water balloons oh, later? They're so crazy. No, it's not that hot. <laughs> Awesome. And how has your week been? I know you've been packing. Oh my gosh, just so busy. Yeah, packing and baseball. That's it. That's life right now. That's okay. That's your identity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I know too, I had come, so this is just kind of, not really a corrections corner, but a little bit of a flashback to yeah yeah Lauren's case that mm-hmm. you had talked about. I know when you guys listen, there's a lot of speculation and a lot of us kind of hemming and hawing about what law enforcement could do. Mm-hmm. And I always err on the side of caution. I'm not one to jump the gun. So I was I was the one who was saying, well, you can't just pull him over or approach him for no reason and. Right, we were mm-hmm. talking. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you had a, you had a good point, like with the texting and all of that, with with the phone, and you can't prove this or that, or my phone was stolen, or you know whatever. I mean, it, that happens in so many other cases. So I get what you're yeah, with from. the yeah. right. Anytime I feel like the cyber stuff is just so new right. that you can't prove someone's texting even phone you or, for murders. Like they can't even. I don't even think they can oh, submit that a, into court anymore. Uh, I can't. I can't now. remember what it was, but yeah, like the pings came from the wrong tower at mm-hmm. a different time. Yeah. Like, all that stuff. But what I did read, because I was very curious, obviously some other people who I appreciate their opinion were still very upset that more wasn't done to prevent Lauren's murder. Right, right. Um, people of the true crime community definitely feel strongly that something more could have been done to protect her. So I was looking a little bit around more and he was on, he was a felon and he mm-hmm. was on parole. So from yeah. what I read, if that's the case... Anytime you're involved with anything, uh, law enforcement can call your your PO, your parole officer, mm-hmm. to come and step in. Yes. So now that I know that, I look at the case a lot differently because... Mm-hmm. Well, because really, like, her parents were right. They could have... So much any point more in time, could have been done. Yes. His ass could have been tossed in jail. At any time. Because mm-hmm. anytime you're in question... And who knows if it would have prevented her death in the end. But it could have. No. I mean, or, yeah, or it could have slowed the process so they could have done more. I don't, you know, we've mm-hmm. talked about that before. Because once right. these types of individuals get those, they make those decisions that they're going to target someone. We talk about it. We can't <sighs> we stop them. It um, it's, but, yeah. you know, like, I know now that I understand more my view, if I listen, if you told me this story again, I would think that my response would be differently. Gotcha. Well, I appreciate that. You know, looking into it a little bit more, I remember we were kind of going back and forth and we weren't sure about it. And sometimes we do that and then we move on because we have to. We have like the next story. Yeah. <laughs> so it's nice. It was good to, yeah. Good, good that you looked that up and good to hear that from you. And I'm actually really excited. You are doing our last sports story, right? I so, am doing our last sports story. I know this one has been very crazy. You, you, you keep hinting at different things that are like just really bizarre in your story or just very... And I just yeah. like, can't wait to it's, hear what you have. It's today. interesting. Um, so 
and you've heard me talk about this story vaguely before, so you're going to know as soon as I start talking. But so when you think about sports and you think about basketball, who is the world's most famous basketball player? Michael Jordan. Of course. Yeah. And did you know that his father was murdered? I remember hearing something about it a long time ago because I remember you mentioned it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I did know that that fact from who knows when in, in like you know, the catalog of my brain when I knew that, but I didn't know anything about it. We were really, I mean, we were a lot younger yeah. then. Um, James Jordan Sr., he was murdered in 1993. Okay. So, so I was 13. Yeah. So it was in the news, but we weren't really, really following yeah. it. And I don't, I don't remember like following the details. I no, remember just no. it happening. And remember how close he was with his dad, Michael and his dad? I remember pictures of them, you know, hugging and celebrating and, yeah. Yeah, I remember his dad was at all his games. And like I said, in all the pictures, his dad was right next to him and hugging him after each championship. Mm -hmm. And whenever he talked about his dad, he always called him Pops. Which I thought was just so, such an endearing name for your dad. He would Pops, Pops this and Pops that. So I just always admired the relationship that they had and how they shared it. Mm-hmm. for the world. I think that they um, set a good example for other people and other people that looked up to them. We don't always have that with athletes. No, no. Um, all right. So I've always been really curious about the details of the story and never really took the time into it. But now that we we're talking about athletes, mm-hmm. I decided I would do a little search and see what I could find up. And I found that there's been some updates oh. and they've been fairly recent. There's a, an IMDb documentary that's released. It's actually a docu-series called The Moment of Truth. It's so good. Um, it dives into the investigation of Jordan's murder, but also the corruption in Robeson County where the murder supposedly took place. But then it also goes into the current attempt of a retrial by one of the men that were convicted for the murder. So... Add that one to your list, Tara. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I want to see it. Oh, it's good. And um, it was nice because I made Steve watch it with me. So you oh, can make so Billy watch it with yeah, you. So he would. Makes, For sure. He would definitely watch that with me. Give you something to do. And this one will actually be a two-parter. I didn't change it into a two-parter until this morning because there's just too much info to share in one recording. So I'm saving you all from having to listen to me for two hours. <laughs> no, but that's that means that there's a lot of great information. So. There is. I'm going to talk about kind of the crime itself and um, them leading up to who they believe committed the crime. But I feel like the trial and the evidence and everything is kind of a separate story. So that's how I'm going to lay it down for you guys. A little background about Jordan Sr. He was born in Wallace, North Carolina on August 1st, 1936. And he began dating his future wife, Michael's mother, Dolores Peoples, in high school. So they're high school sweethearts. Uh, After high school graduation, Jordan joined the Air Force. And then while in the Air Force and living on base in Virginia, he married Dolores. Shortly after he was done with the Air Force, he began working in a textile mill in Wallace, North Carolina. But in 1963, he decided that he was going to use the GI Bill. And he went to Brooklyn, New York to train um, uh, mechanic training on airplane hydraulics. And that's where Michael's born, right? So we, everyone talks about how they're from North Carolina, but there's, when you look at Michael's birth certificate, he's born in Brooklyn, New York. Isn't that crazy? 
Yes, and I think if I remember correctly, didn't he go to North Carolina for yeah. college? Okay. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, he is North so. Carolina. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. When we lived there for that mm-hmm. blank, mm-hmm. insane. Jordan, the Jordan family is really their people. Oh, that's oh, so cool. Yeah, no, Well, it's just because, like, for us from, I mean, I'm from Indiana, but we didn't have, like, any, you know, we had the Pacers, but we always followed... The Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan and Scottie yeah. Pippen and, you know, those were... Well, it was funny, though, because the Jordans belonged to North Carolina, but coming from Chicago, Michael Jordan belonged to us because yeah. he played for the Yeah, he Bulls. was ours. So it was weird when we were moved there and he was there. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, yeah. why? But yeah, they totally still just pride themselves in loving the Jordan yeah. family so much. And the Jordan family has always um, maintained their roots there. So that's kind of cool. That's really cool. So, like I said, Michael was born in Brooklyn, but after completing his training in New York, uh, the Jordan family decided they were going to move back to North Carolina. So they moved to Wilmington. They wanted to raise their family in a more, like, a safer environment, an environment Mm -hmm. where they're surrounded with friends and family. And they ended up with five kids. Oh, wow. So Michael has four brothers and sisters. And Jordan, so I'm going to call Jordan, James Jordan, Jordan, and I'll call Michael, Michael. Okay. Because... I know. It can, for, it can it definitely can get, get confusing. Yeah. Confusing. He shared his love of sports with all of his children. He played semi-pro baseball, so he almost went pro. That's right. I knew that, too. Yeah. yeah. Baseball was his favorite sport, and he actually had always envisioned Michael as a pro baseball player. He loved him no less for going Is to Is that why he tried, you think, yeah, for a while? Yeah, he did. I'll talk about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly why. But as we all know, Michael went on to be the most incredible basketball player of all time. And his dad was there with him every second of the way. Like I mentioned before, we, I mean, he was always at every game, whether it be college or professional. And I guess he traveled. He followed Michael professional from what I read. I didn't put this in there, but he never traveled with the team. He always gave Michael his space. So he traveled on his own personally to these games isn't that funny that's awesome and then they talked about like no matter how much money they had michael's money was michael's money and like he didn't fly first class he wasn't flashy he was very humble and just wanted to be there for his son i thought that was really really sweet no that's that's incredible and then you know michael is always even to this day talks about how his dad kept him level-headed and grounded and even referred to you know pops being his best friend yeah I know, right? Aww. But this case just has my head spinning. Every time you think you have it figured out, something else just kind of pops up. I'm not sure we'll ever really know what happened to, to James Jordan Sr. I really, I don't know. I, I mean, I hope we can get answers, but there's just a lot of untruths and shady people, for a lack of better words, involved. Yeah. I broke things down in a little bit of a timeline because... Ooh, a timeline. <laughs> Okay. I am a lover of sequenced events, and <laughs> I will share those with you. <laughs> so on July 22nd, 1993, Jordan attended a funeral for a former co-worker in Wilmington, North Carolina. So he attended the funeral, and then he stuck around with a little bit to visit friends, you know, the way you do, and then headed out. So he leaves, actually, the, the home of a friend shortly after midnight on July 23rd. Okay. Okay. He hops on Highway 74, and if you live in the Carolinas, you know what I'm talking about. And he drives, he's planning to drive um, from Wilmington to Charlotte, because he's living in Charlotte. And that would take about three and a half hours. He was to meet, um, 
he had a flight the next day to Chicago because he was going to play in a golf outing. He was going to attend a golf oh, outing with okay. Michael the next day. Sadly, he would never make it. I did read that after he didn't show up, he wasn't reported as a missing person, but I guess it was reported to Michael's security team Mm -hmm. Okay, that they had an idea that he didn't show up. So July 23rd, just before 2 a.m., Jordan pulls over to the side of the road to rest. Maybe he's going to take a nap. Mm -hmm. He pulls off the highway, pulls off Highway 74, and he's about 800 yards west of I-95. So it's kind of like an intersection. Mm Mm-hmm. In Lumberton, North Carolina, and this is considered Robeson County. And I'm telling you these things because it's going to matter later. Okay. And he's very close to a quality inn. Now, this is very, I and mean, this is one of the first questionable scenarios that, that I'm thinking. So okay. he pulls off to nap. Many wonder why he didn't just go to the quality inn if he needed a rest. It was literally like walking distance. Well, Okay, but I could I could definitely see somebody being like, oh, I don't need to waste my money staying in the night. I'll just take a nap here real quick for an hour and then keep going. That's exactly what That's I That's what guys do. That's yeah. what I might have even done that. Yes, yeah. So many wonder why, but because it was right across the street, but later they later we would find out that the quality inn wasn't very quality. Hmm. If you know what I mean. Yeah. It was known for gambling in the back room and drug deals, and this wasn't exactly the greatest area. Mm-hmm. And also he didn't stop at a rest stop. He stopped, from what I understand, he stopped on the side of the road. Okay. I mean, that's kind of what I was picturing when you said that. Yeah. He's literally on the side of the on road. On the side and, of the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if he's just going to take a quick cat nap, maybe he just thought he needed to close his eyes for 20 minutes and mm-hmm. he was, you know, or maybe he wasn't yeah. even planning on falling asleep. I just need to rest for a second and because he was so tired. Okay. That happens. No one hears from him. August 3rd, a body is discovered by a fisherman in Gum Swamp on the border of North Carolina and South Carolina. Mm-hmm. In Macaulay, South Carolina. It's Marlborough County, okay? Mm-hmm. The body in the swamp, it was kind of snagged on a tree limb. And it was super, I mean, it was so badly decomposed. It was unidentifiable. And it was listed as a John Doe. Now listen in, because this is going to blow your mind. Okay. The body was found August 3rd. It was cremated on August 7th. Four days after being found in a swamp. Okay. Unidentified. No. Is that crazy? Yeah. That can't be their procedure. It is their procedure, they said. Stop it. They said the, the it was highly decomposed, like wretchedly. I'm not even going to tell you the things that I read because okay. they should not be repeated. Wretched decomposition. It was a small county. They had no refrigeration. He's unidentified. Wow. So the medical examiner noticed expensive dental work and that rang a bell for him. So he actually removed the jaw and the hands and kept those. Okay. Good thinking on his part. Right. For sure. But it still blows my mind that you find this body and you just cremate it. I I can't imagine. Well, that's just right. Well, now they don't know. Now they can't even examine anything. Right. Like, No. no, all they can go on is like the autopsy report. Nothing else can be looked at again. Right. And if it's a John Doe, 
I hate to say it. I'm not saying that people don't do their job, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like the coroner's probably like, oh, I got other things I got to get to. This is a John Doe. Let's just get this over with and get it done and then move on to the next. Yeah. Like nobody's going to come looking at this John Doe. Right. <laughs> I hate to say it that way. No, but, but I mean, I think I that does that happen. Happening. I don't know if that happened in this case, but I believe that does happen. I'm sure it does. Yeah. For sure. I agree 100% on that. It's just, I don't know. So on, so this is August 3rd. The body is cremated August 7th. In between there, on August 5th, a red Lexus is found. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's not found on the side of the road where Mr. Jordan stopped to take his nap. It's found in the woods near Fayetteville, North Carolina. How far away is that? This is about 60 miles from where he has stopped to nap. Mm-hmm. And this is Cumberland County. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so we have three counties involved right now. Yeah. Okay. The car had been stripped. You know, they took the speakers, the tires, all personal belongings are gone. The windows are smashed. Uh, They had to do some research, but they found out by, like, the VIN number, everything, that the the car was purchased in Chicago by Michael Jordan for his father. So a little recap, exactly what you're saying we have Jordan, He's pull, he pulls over on the side of the road to nap in Lumberton, North Carolina, in Robertson County. His body is found in McCall, South Carolina, in Marlboro County. And then his car is found in Fayetteville, North Carolina, in Cumberland County. Okay. How does that make you feel? Like this investigation is not going to go well. No. How hard is it to have two areas... Try to collaborate. And not even if they... Well, the crazy thing, like I said, is like a body is found and the car is found and the other two don't even know that they're happening. And so, like I said, James Jordan Sr. had last been seen on July 23rd. Right? He failed to show up to commitments for three weeks. It was said that it wasn't uncommon for him to change his mind and change his plans without, you know, any warning. But his 57th birthday was on July 31st and nothing. No and one you're had. telling me that he wasn't reported missing yet? Mm-mm. No one had seen. And on his birthday, July 31st, no one had seen him alive for at least nine days. So tell me, how does a missing man who is so close with friends and family Go unreported for almost three weeks. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, as a as a wife, you would think that you would check in. Even well, I mean, I could see Michael Jordan being super busy and thinking like, "Oh, okay, he didn't come to the golf thing," and then maybe he was traveling a ton and thinking, "I don't know. I'm well, trying to." I know it's weird, but I have to say, so he wasn't reported to the authorities as a missing person, but Michael's security team was like on the lookout. Like okay. I said, okay. But I feel like the family had to know something because the car was found on August 5th. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say we contacted the Jordan family. It doesn't say any of that. But I'm assuming they would know something. But he still wasn't reported missing. Yeah, that's weird. Like just, an official report. very strange. Yeah. No, you would think that there would be something out there. So they found his car and they were like, no one knows the whereabouts of James Jordan. But it wasn't like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe it was just thought that this was such a high profile person who was mi- who was possibly missing. You know what I mean? Because he's the father of Michael Jordan that 
everyone's just going to let them know or they're on the lookout or there's... Is I'm that wondering, weird that I think that? No, like I, not at all. But I'm wondering if maybe it's just such a high profile case that we didn't know he was missing. Maybe. Maybe there was just so much stuff going on under, like, behind the scenes that there didn't need to be an official report because, you know... Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I, I do. Know. Oh, I'm trying to figure it out because I'm like, that's just, to me, is insane. Yeah. And then I'm also like, well, why is your security team looking for him, but the police aren't? I don't know. It doesn't, like, that part of it doesn't sit, it sits not okay, but I don't feel like there's something foul play. I feel like there's an explanation in there that... Right. I didn't I didn't look at that and go, oh, there's a cover-up somewhere. No, yeah. no, no, no. A lot of Nothing. people think that, so the, a lot of people think that the fact that he was cremated and that he wasn't officially reported missing, that someone's covering something up. I could see where you could turn that into a conspiracy theory, but I just don't feel that from what you're telling me. I agree. But back to the story. Okay. Okay. So Dr. Joel Sexton, he was the pathologist who conducted the autopsy. He heard the news of Jordan's card being found in Cumberland County and contacts them. He basically says like, hey, I did this autopsy on an unidentified black male. And I think it's connected. Mm -hmm. Because of the expensive dental work. And he's like, "Uh Mm uh-oh, this could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's about 60 miles apart. Yeah. On August 13th, 1993, an announcement was officially made that dental records confirmed that John Doe was, in fact, James Jordan Sr., who had died from a single gunshot wound to the chest that pierced his aorta. So they think he was robbed for his car? They think it was a carjacking, yeah. Um, It took 22 days to identify the murdered father of the world's greatest basketball player, and I say that again only because this was the peak of Chicago basketball. Yeah. I mean, this is yeah. just after they won their third championship, I believe. And there were so many photos of Michael with his father in the media. And, like, everyone wanted to be like Mike, right? Like, yeah. this was just, was all the rage. MJ, yeah. I, everywhere. Uh, he was, James Jordan, he was, rest, he was laid to rest at a small church in Wallace, North Carolina, where his family was raised. And, like I said... Uh, this was a huge tragedy for the people of North Carolina. They wanted justice because yeah. the Jordans are their family, and they can't believe this happened to Michael's dad in their state. Yeah. They're besides themselves. Um, it's a witch hunt at this point. Now, it, it, turns, it? it turns into a witch hunt mm. because someone needs to be held accountable. Oh, yeah. You know it. I do. And everybody wanted to be the one to solve it. Yeah. Everyone wanted to be the hero. This day and age, I can't even imagine. Oh, There'd be like, I don't even know. The internet sleuths would yes. be just on fire. But Michael and his family were very quiet about his father's death. They grieved very privately. And then, I don't know if you remember this, but shortly after, Michael announced his retirement from basketball. So oh, it was shortly after that? Yeah. he. Um, so his dad was officially pronounced on August 13th, and he retired from basketball. He made his announcement on October 6th. Oh, okay. Wow. I, I didn't realize that it was that connection. Fast. Yeah. Wow. A lot of people didn't. And in his official statement during the press conference, I even remember watching it, he had said that he'd simply lost his desire to play basketball. And he talks about how if you don't have a passion for something, like the second you, don't, you lose your drive and your passion 
for something in life, you need to find something new. Yeah. And he just said he accomplished everything he set out to in basketball. He and had more. Nothing left to prove. And it was time for him to move on. Later on, he would confess that the death of his father really shaped his decision to step oh, back and retire. I, I bet it did. Yeah. I I can't even imagine can't. having to grieve like that in the public eye Mm-mm. and not having answers and... Your head would literally not be in the game. No, not at all. And I don't know if you remember, though. Well, you do because you just said it in the beginning about how he had that small, like, stint in baseball. Yep. Everyone, how surprised he was. They're like, what, Jordan? You know, my husband in baseball? And he he signed that minor league contract with the Chicago White Sox in February Mm of 94. Yep. And he talks about how he made this decision largely based on his father's dream of him being a major... Major League Baseball player, so... It's pretty crazy that you can just be like, I'm Michael Jordan and I want to play on your team. And they're like, okay, here's a uniform. You know what I mean? I just remember being like, wow. He was like, okay, Yeah, no, I mean, he he could play, but he wasn't... But I wasn't like... He wasn't amazing, but I don't know if he was any worse than some of the other people who, like, dedicated He was definitely an athlete. Like, he could... He, he was one do, of those all around. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They can pick but up still, any sport you know what I'm and be saying? Like, he was just like, you know what? Like, what? Like, I just... I, you I want to be like Mike. <laughs> it's amazing. For everything. And it's yeah. amazing that he had that opportunity to honor his father for everything that he did. I think that yeah. allowed him some closure. Sadly, we're going to go back to the murder. Okay. That's what we do on this podcast. <laughs> and like you said, this is just the beginning of the murder investigation. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. everybody wants answers. They want to find yeah. out who did this to Michael's father. I'm going to start with the car. Okay. Investigators used luminol on the inside of the car and found no traces of blood. Okay. So he was removed from the car. He must have been murdered outside of the car is what we're assuming. Next is the car phone. So in 93, if you're a baller, you have a car phone. If your dad's Michael Jordan. And it's huge. You have a car phone. That that car phone is like the size of your head. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You remember it had like a... Bag and it was like the leather bag, right? Mm -hmm. With like the whole, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, the car phone. So, they start looking at the call records for the car phone inside the car, and there was some very obvious changes in the call records. And, um, the long term records would show calls to Charlotte, Cleveland, Chicago was the same areas, the same Mm -hmm. numbers over and over again around the same times. You know, I'm sure he's like calling. Yeah. It's kind of like the guys, right? They'll call at a certain time, like when they're on the road or mm-hmm. so that they see a pattern. All of a sudden on July 23rd, the calls start to change. They start to become local. They're from Lumberton. They're from Roland, all areas local to where he pulled off to take his nap. Now, Jordan didn't know anyone in the area. So those calls were obviously made from whoever took the car. Mm-hmm. And they started at what? After 2 a.m.? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'll tell you one call. I'll, I'll go into more details about the calls. But one call was actually to a one sex line. Oh, my God. This is just some stupid. random. So t- stupid. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. Come on, people. So they determined the four individuals who disposed of the car in the woods were Gary Ferrier, Kenneth Ferrier, Shirellis Teasley, and Jova Carter. During the, their interviews with these four gentlemen, 
they say the car was brought to them by two guys. So they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm -hmm. We got rid of the car, Mm -hmm. but we didn't have anything to do with how the car got here. Yeah. Like, we don't know anything. Like, we'll tell you what we know. You can charge us with that, but... That's we're it. car strippers. We yeah, that's yeah, what, yeah. yeah. We're hustlers. We're not. We don't do that. Or I'm a car stripper. That does not sound right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, so they say the car was brought to them by two guys, one named Daniel and some Indian kid, meaning Native American. They said it. I didn't. Right. Got you. Just so you know. Daniel wanted them to sell the car and split whatever money was made. Okay. So they took the car out in the woods, they stripped it, they vandalized it, but they had nothing to do with anything else. They tell the police, the police are like, well, tell us more about these guys. And they say, well, this Daniel guy, he has a brother named David who's out at Fort Bragg. They're like, okay. So they go to Fort Bragg and they say, hey, we need to talk to David. They talk to David. David is, um, he's in the army and he works on Fort Bragg, but he lives off base. So he lives in this trailer park. David tells police that Daniel and his friend Larry, a.k.a. Indian Kid, brought the car to his mobile home unannounced. Okay? Okay. Following me? Mm -hmm. Daniel gives him some bullshit story how he got the car. David sees this red sports car with a car phone. It's super nice. (laughs) Doesn't belong in the area. Yeah. It's like, get that car away from me. Get that car away from my home. Whatever's been done, you just need to get out of here right now. I, like, get it out of here. Get it away from me. Okay. Crazy. Yeah. I can't, I, I don't know. That's just, I don't know. I can't imagine someone showing up and be like, you know what? I know you're up to, like, no good, so you just need to get out of here. I guess that's normal. But Maybe. I'll go into more of that later. I, I, I do call it into question a little bit because it's like, I don't know. You know what I mean? It just seems odd that you just... I, right away, I was like, get it out of here. I don't want to be a part I of this. I can see that or I can't because, like, I'll go into it later, mm-hmm. but Daniel and Larry have records. Mm-hmm. Okay. And maybe his brother, it doesn't... I don't know that much about him, but he's in the Army. He knows he can't get into any trouble. These two kids have records, and they show up with a car that you know is not theirs. I don't want to get into it. Get out of here. Yeah. Oh, okay. I guess I was assuming. Uh, I got you. So he's the one who's a little more straight laced. Like he's he's in the military. Okay. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't go into detail how straight laced he is, but it sounds like he's kept himself out of trouble and he's trying to make something of his life and he doesn't. Okay, that makes sense. And his brother shows up with his friend in this car that he knows doesn't belong to them, and he's just like, "Go get leave." Okay. Now I'm um, okay. Does that make sense? One, now? Yes. It okay. Does. I'm trying to, my story is kind of all over the place. There's so much I'm to I'm imagining tell. everything in my head as you go. So some of the characters in my head have to switch a little. They have to change. <laughs> well, there's like, like Daniel and there's David. So you have to keep, <laughs> yeah, them, yeah. keep them straight. So Daniel's the one who has the car and David is the brother. Okay. The police ask David where they can find Daniel. And he tells them that Daniel lives in a trailer park with his mom in Lumberton. Okay. Ding, 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 yeah, ding, ding. Yeah. Like, that's right where there. the car was. That's where... Do the... they say how far away it was from where he parked? Mm-mm. Probably within walking distance. Uh, probably fairly close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know how big Lumberton is, but it sounds like... I'll go into more of his history before, but, I mean, they've been known 
to steal and rob and I'll oh, talk yeah. about I mean, you said it wasn't a very good area, so. Yeah, no. The Quality Inn is, like, the yeah. local. You know, like, if you're driving through Gary, you just keep going through Gary. You don't stop so on the side of the road. So they say that about Robinson County. Really? You hold okay. your breath and you drive yeah. five under. Cause... Like, that wouldn't be my choice to make a pit stop and take a little break. I'd be like. Smacking myself in the face, like let's just get through the next county. Well, you and I wouldn't know. No, if, if I wasn't from the area, no. I wouldn't know. So authorities approach Daniel Green and they ask him to come in for questioning about a case, and he agrees. He's cooperative. He doesn't ask for a lawyer. Uh, he never invokes his rights. He even goes outside. He walks around. He takes breaks. During this time, Daniel admits that he was. In the car. Okay. And that he made phone calls. Okay. He says that he was not driving the car at this time. He says he was walking down the street when he was approached by someone named Rick, who was driving the car and offered him $50 to get rid of the car. I know. Yes. Right. You're giving me the eye. So... At this time, he gets in the car, he drives the car, he leaves it at the hotel. There's just all this back and forth. He gives several different accounts of basically the same story, but with some changes. Mm -hmm. That's when Larry Demery gets brought into the story. Okay. So they approach Larry Demery. Authorities approach Larry, but he's, they actually approach him on a warrant. Okay. For something else completely Completely unrelated. But they bring him in and they ask him to talk. He waves all of his rights before being questioned. He was like, I'm here to talk. Like, this isn't a big deal. Okay. He, too, brings up a guy named Rick who had the car first. Rick originally had the car. So as they're in there talking, investigators, they're not stupid. They know that these two corroborate the story. story ahead of time. They can tell that it's rehearsed. Mm -hmm. They flat out say, one of you guys has to talk. Someone has to, we know that you're not being honest. Besides, I I really can't see somebody pulling up and asking (laughs) these people and saying, by the way, my name's Rick. Like, really? I know. And that's where I'm I'm leaving you hang right there. No. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because if I start going into too too much, it'll just go on forever. But just so those are people. And so Larry and Daniel are both in prison currently. Obviously, as you can tell from their story, it's not very forthcoming. And there's so much more that I have to tell you. But I feel like that gave you a lot to think about. Yeah, and now I'm ready for the trial. Wow. Okay. Yeah, there's it gets to be intense. It gets it gets good. That's all I can say. Well, I can't wait until we continue this. Maybe we'll do yours like back to back like we did last time. Yeah, I think that's so would people be good. don't have to wait. Yeah, I agree. I think it'd be no one's gonna want to wait for the outcome. And like I said, there's more current day, you know, and I'll explain all that. Okay. Oh, yeah. You said there was new. Uh, I will try really hard not to Google. Yeah, don't do it. And I'm just going to wait for the story. Yeah. So. All right. Cool. Well, on that note, if, um, you know, if you guys are enjoying the podcast, hey, please give us a shout out where you listen, uh, rate and review. 
I don't, I don't, I know some places don't allow you to, but Apple sure does. So tell um, your friends. Yeah. Tell your friends. If, you like if you're us. really enjoying it, let them know what you're listening to and what you're doing. They probably listen to these type of podcasts too. You just don't know. Unless you ask. Yeah. All right. Well, we will see you again from my part two and then we're moving on. Yeah. The we, subject. music industry is what, is what we're doing next, right? Yep. All right. All right. See you later. Bye-bye.